ladies and gentlemen, we're expecting some moderate turbulence. Please remain seated and enjoy the show. Hello. And welcome to... Moderate Turbulence. My name's Jeremy. And I'm Adele. And welcome to another episode. How Yay. are you today? Doing well, Jeremy. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm a little sore, to be honest. I'm a little bit sore today. All right, Jeremy. So why are you so sore today? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> We're being a little silly today. Uh, no, yesterday we went on a, a nice, long, challenging hike. Okay, for us, because well, regular us. hikers would probably find this a, a walk in the park. It was good. It was in a, the Banff National Park. <laughs> it was decent elevation, though. It was like 1,500 feet of elevation, 1,500, 1,600 feet. So it was pretty but steep climbing. Yeah. I guess the steepness was the hardest part, because yeah. the hike itself, it didn't take us very long. It took us about just over two hours yeah. Plus, to go up and down. True. Plus, we, we did have Roxy with us as well. So that was her first hike, which was good. Yeah, her little... Little lady's first hike. She was a trooper. She walked most of the way. Yep. I had to carry her for parts of it. A little when bit. When she yeah. showed signs of not wanting to proceed. But I mean, she's so small and with her little feet, she's taking six or seven steps for every step we take. So I'm like, oh, look, it's a good hike. I got 12,000 steps in. She did over 100,000. <laughs> okay. That's probably an exaggeration. But Obviously. yeah, she's a small dog and must take many more steps than we have to. And she's lived in a cage for most of her life up until we got her, which was... A couple of weeks ago now. Three weeks? Three weeks ago. And then three weeks prior to that, she was with another foster. So yeah. before that, she was in a cage. And yeah. she was also never able to walk on a leash because she wasn't used to it. So the exercise part of her life has only really started in the last week and a half let's say yeah yep. so a two-hour hike was probably a little much but she did get carried and she we had a backpack so she's fine everyone she's yeah. just really tired today yeah she's been sleeping a good chunk of the day well she also had a play date with her friends that's true her friends cabot and lewis while you were suntanning and you do actually have a little more color well thank you jeremy i don't fully believe you because <laughs> i am very pale but I'll take it. Yeah, well, today we actually had like a day of sunshine, which is very, it's been very rare this season in Calgary as some days we have hail, then we have sunshine for five minutes, then more hail or thunderstorms, a lot of rain. And flash flooding of our... Yep. Major highway. Uh, yeah, our highways. I was going to say airport. I don't know why I always say airport and highways interchangeably. Anything else to discuss before we get into the incident for this week? Well, at the end of this episode, we have a cool new segment we're gonna introduce something that we were really hoping was gonna happen and it did and it did and uh we're kind of surprised it happened this soon but we're really excited about it so stay tuned yeah because... at the end of this episode we will uh finish off with that new segment yeah we're really excited about it yep. all right jeremy what are we talking about today so today we are going to discuss the crash of helios 522 which is also known as the ghost plane Ooh. So this was a Boeing 737-300, nicknamed Olympia, flying from Larnaca, Cyprus to Athens, Greece, on August 14th, 2005. That's pretty recent. Yeah, compared to some of the other ones we've done, it's, uh, it's very recent, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so the crew on this aircraft, uh, and please accept my apologies if I'm not pronouncing the names correctly, I'm going to give it my best. So we had Captain Hans-Jürgen Merton, First Officer Pompos. Haralambos, 
Our chief flight attendant was Luisa Vuteri. And then we had flight attendants Andreas Prodromu, Haris Haralambus, and Meropi Sophoclius. I hope I pronounced that correctly. All right. Are you ready to get into the incident? And are you curious why they call it the ghost plane? Well, of course. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So this aircraft, it was scheduled to leave at 9 a.m. It actually left a few minutes late at 9.07 for the scheduled one hour and 45 minute leg to Athens. Five minutes after takeoff, while climbing through 12,000 feet, loud warning signals are heard in the flight deck. The pilots assume this is a takeoff configuration warning, which usually only happens on the ground. Uh, so they contact Helios Operations Center to speak with an engineer. Throughout this ordeal, the pilots are trying to find out certain information about circuit breakers, while the engineer is asking them a completely different question, uh, which would be another reason for the alarm. And all the while, the aircraft continues climbing. As the aircraft climbs through 14,000 feet, the oxygen masks deploy in the passenger cabin. This sets off another alarm, the master caution, in the flight deck. So while speaking with the engineer, the captain states the takeoff configuration warning on and cooling equipment normal and alternate offline. The engineer asks if the pressurization panel is set to auto. The captain replies by asking where the equipment cooling circuit breakers are. So he's totally ignoring the question from the engineer. This was the last communication from the pilots as the aircraft climbs through 28,900 feet, and that's now at 9.20 a.m., so 13 minutes after takeoff. So when you mean communication from the pilots, is that the communication that was retrieved from the black box? Oh, from the cockpit voice recorder? No, a little bit more comes off, but in them trying to talk to the pilots, that's the last they heard from them. Okay. And you'll see why. Cool. All right, proceed. All right, so now at 9.23, the aircraft levels off at 34,000 feet, presumably now on autopilot. It's continuing its pre-planned flight path towards Athens. Air traffic control in Athens continues to attempt to contact uh, Helios 522, but to no avail. At 10.45 now, Helios 522 does not arrive in Athens as scheduled, and while communicating with the Joint Rescue Coordination Center, it's now considered a possible renegade aircraft, which could mean a potential hijacking. So two F-16s from the Hellenic Air Force are scrambled to intercept Helios 522. Uh, the aircraft is located over the Aegean uh, island of Kia. One of the F-16s is positioned behind the passenger jet in a possible shooting position. The other F-16 gets close to the cabin on the left side of the aircraft so that it can observe the flight deck and the passenger cabin. At first, there's no movement detected. The first officer is seen slumped over in his seat. The captain is not seen. In the passenger cabin, it is observed that the oxygen masks have deployed and many passengers are slumped over and they're not reacting to an F-16 right outside their window. Like, wow. imagine that. So I would react. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so a few minutes later, movement is seen in the flight deck. An individual is apparently trying to regain control of the aircraft. A minute after that, the left engine flames out due to a lack of fuel, and then the aircraft begins descending. Ten minutes later, the right engine flames out, causing Helios 522 to now be a glider. Four minutes later, the aircraft crashes into the mountains near Grammatico, Greece, taking the lives of all 115 passengers and six crew members. So what happened? What caused this accident and who was trying to regain control of the aircraft before it crashed? 
All right, so let's begin with the night before the crash. So the inbound cabin crew reported banging noises coming from the rear of the plane during the flight, and they saw ice building up on the door. So the ground engineers in Cyprus performed a maintenance check on the pressurization system. Now, in order to pressurize the aircraft on the ground, the system, there's a little switch. It has to be switched from auto to manual mode. After the pressurization test, the switch was not changed back to auto. So the reason why it's uh, on manual is because they're not using the engines to pressurize the aircraft. They're using the APU to do it. So they can do it without turning on the engines. So now they've done their test. They don't switch it back to auto. During the pre-flight checks in the flight deck, the switch was in the incorrect position, and this was not captured by either pilot. So after takeoff, the air grew thinner and thinner as the aircraft climbed. The pilots would have started to feel the effects of hypoxia. This is often compared to the effects of alcohol intoxication. So as the aircraft continued to climb, the pilots became incapacitated and lose consciousness with the aircraft continuing on its route on autopilot. Now let's address who was attempting to fly the aircraft when it came to its tragic end. Cabin crew member Andreas Prodromu was called last minute to replace an ill-flight attendant, and he took the flight partly because his girlfriend, Hades Haralumbos, uh, was also working on the flight. Prodromu was training as a pilot, and he was also a scuba diver and a former soldier in the Cypriot Special Forces. This training may have helped him stay alert and recognize the effects of hypoxia. He was the lone conscious individual on the aircraft for some time. In the passenger cabin, the oxygen masks deployed at the correct time, but these masks only supply oxygen for like 12 minutes. This is an adequate amount of time to descend to a safe, breathable altitude. If the aircraft does not descend in this time, the passengers would succumb to hypoxia after the masks are no, no longer supplying oxygen. So in the crash investigation, it was found that three of the four portable oxygen bottles were used, most likely by Prodromu, and it appears that he had been in the flight deck more than once, as they found DNA on the first officer's flight deck oxygen mask, so he was trying to help uh, try to revive the first officer. No one could see the captain when like the F-16s were scrambling, because it's presumed he was searching for the circuit breakers behind his seat when he lost consciousness. I wasn't able to find a reference for it, but something I remember when I first uh, heard about this incident was that while Prodromu was the only one conscious, probably for two and a half hours or so, uh, it's assumed that he was attempting to revive his unconscious girlfriend who was also working on the flight. Wait, two and a, two and a half hours? Yeah. So the flight took off just after nine o'clock. At 10.45, it still hadn't landed in Athens, and then it didn't actually crash until 12.04. So it was flying on autopilot in a uh, holding pattern above the island of Kia. And then when it came out of its holding pattern, I'm not sure if that's because Prodromu took controls or if it's when the engines flamed out so it lost fuel and just started gliding. Um, so once again, it looks like Prodromu, it's assumed some people have said that it looks like he was trying to revive his girlfriend. So he's here for two and a half hours. Everyone else is hypoxic uh, totally unconscious their masks are depleted so they're most likely brain dead because as we know the lack of oxygen brain death uh, can occur in, in like four minutes right so here he is trying to revive his girlfriend for like two and a half hours and not happening so the so aircraft he was trying to revive her but not trying to fly the plane well he was trying to revive the flight uh, the first officer as well because it looks like the captain was unconscious on the ground already and the first officer was in a seat. So he tried to use the flight deck oxygen mask to revive the first officer, but by that point, it looks like no one was revivable, if that makes sense. 
It's crazy, eh? Mm-hmm. So the aircraft did continue on its pre-planned course until it eventually ran out of fuel and met its fatal end. And that was the crash of Helios 522 that crashed into the Greek mountains. Do you have any other questions? Because there's a lot that went on in this one. All right. So you started this story with saying that it was called the ghost plane. Yeah. Um, So why exactly was that? The nickname or the... So the nickname of the incident, of they the called incident. it the ghost plane because there was nobody conscious on the plane except for the one guy that, that they didn't know of right at the beginning. So he's the ghost. No, it's not he's the ghost. It's that the plane's basically flying itself. Right? Everyone's unconscious. Both the pilots are unconscious. Everyone in the back is unconscious except for this one guy who, you know, as a flight attendant, he recognized what was going on and started using the portable oxygen bottles. Um so it's called the ghost plane because it was flying by itself with no one at the controls and it just continued on its path. Um, so the pilot of the F-16, he got close enough to see like passengers in the cabin. He could see the oxygen masks deployed at like the empty seats and passengers with masks on and they were slumped over. So it was like, you know, at first no one knew what was going on. They didn't know if there was like a toxic substance in the air. They didn't know if it was a rapid depressurization, but there was no you know, that didn't seem to be any, any holes in the, uh, in the fuselage. So it was just like, this plane's just kind of continuing on and everyone's unconscious, but why that didn't, there was no answer as to why until they figured out about the, that switch the in the switch. flight deck. That's crazy. That one little switch can yeah. cause that big of a, a yeah. disaster. Well, and normally, so like when the oxygen masks in the passenger cabin deploy, it does give them a warning in the flight deck, but because all the other warnings were going off, they didn't know that that's what it was. Would that have indicated something? Would that have solved the issue? Well, if the pilots could I'd recognize realized. that it wasn't it wasn't a takeoff config warning, it was uh, an oxygen warning or a lack of oxygen warning because the cabin altitude was was getting way too high, right? Yeah. So that's sort of what caused it. Once they hit ten thousand feet, the cabin oxygen should have only been somewhere around three thousand, right? Yeah. So as they go through 12, they should, first thing they should have done is put on their oxygen masks and then figure it out. Cause now on top of having a problem to solve, they're suffering hypoxia. Yeah. Which is then the biggest problem. And then you can't really fix that. Exactly. Unless you land the plane. So my question for you, if you're a cabin crew member and as you're climbing, you recognize that the oxygen masks are deployed in the back first thing you do is put on my own oxygen mask good the second thing that's happening is aircraft should level off and then descend right away if you're still climbing with those oxygen masks on they're not going to do their job because after 12 minutes you've got no more oxygen coming out of those masks right Mm -hmm. so that aircraft better level off or better start descending yeah have you ever had an incident with a pressurization problem no, never had the mask drops. I've had like one mask drop. Oh, okay. Randomly, but because that, wasn't, that was kind it of wasn't a, a pressurization thing. No, it's yeah. just like oh, passenger light comes on, go see them. Oh yeah, I can see why you're calling. <laughs> yeah, that mask should not be down. Let me tape it up. <laughs> I had a pressurization problem once. Um, no masks dropped, but we took off out of LaGuardia, and we were just going from LaGuardia to Toronto, and then. Once we hit 10,000 feet, instead of continuing to climb, the aircraft levels off. I get a, a call from the pilot saying, 
hey, we have a pressurization problem. We're just trying to figure it out. We'll get back to you in a second. Don't worry, we're at 10,000 feet, which is a breathable altitude. So we didn't have to worry about hypoxia. So uh, a few moments go by, then pilots call back and they said, yeah, definitely a pressurization problem. We, at the altitude we're at right now, we can't continue to Toronto. So we're going to go back to LaGuardia. So we had to go back, land in LaGuardia, and then wait for another aircraft uh, to take back to Toronto. Mm. Well, thankfully they realize what was happening and yeah i mean most times errors and and things like that will be will be noticed Caught, and yeah. stuff but you know that's why we're we're talking about these incidents because things like that have happened and unfortunately yeah. people have to learn from previous mistakes that's of other it. people exactly so that's why things like that tend to not happen as often or very very seldom right mm -hmm. now because they have happened previously and now the errors have training, more training gets implemented whenever something happens. So yep. future flights will be safer and safer and safer, which and makes our job easier and more. I wouldn't say easier, but better, safer. Well, <laughs> but safer, you just safer, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's easier if you know that you have proper training. Yeah. So you're, you're comfortable and you're confident that you're going to keep yourself and your passengers safe. Right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense, right? In yeah, my mind, definitely. it makes sense. All right. So this is the exciting part of the episode where we're starting something new and exciting. We need a new jingle for this. <laughs> we'll work on that. So we're, it's time for the emails. <laughs> is that our segment? Or the emails? jingles? Well, I mean, we'll figure it out. I mean, today it's email singular. Yes. But hopefully in the future we'll get more. And maybe we'll get DMs on Instagram or things like that. Who knows? Yeah, we welcome all forms of your communication. Stories, emails, you know. Anyways, we're really excited about this. And Jeremy's gonna read part of the email. We were mm -hmm. given permission to talk about this on the podcast and uh take it away. And we'll answer the question in the email as well. All right. I hope this finds you well. My name is Tom in Washington, D.C. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I had an idea for an episode related to an incident that my father was firsthand witness to. So in 2006, I was out with my parents and grandparents. I bring that detail up because my godfather was an experienced pilot and his wife a flight attendant, both with an, an airline in the U.S. When my mom proceeded to ask my dad about something that happened a few days earlier, my dad was flying from Washington, D.C. to LAX when the man sitting next to him went to the lavatory and never returned. As it happened, the gentleman had committed suicide in the restroom. Um, because of this, the flight made an emergency landing in Denver. Most of the passengers were booked onto other flights to LAX, but my dad was questioned for hours by the FBI, subsequently missing his business meetings in L.A. In his recollection to us, he recalled the gentleman's behavior not being out of the norm prior to the incident. He said that he didn't appear squeamish and even watched a movie before sim uh, before shortly simply leaving his headphones on the seat and heading to the restroom. So the question for us as cabin crew, what would you do if a similar incident happened on board a flight you were working? And what do you imagine your reaction to such an event? How would you manage it, deal with it, and deal with the passengers? So, Adele, have you ever had to deal with uh, any situation close to this? Not even close. I mean, we are trained for, you know, medical situations. We yeah, have we, certain protocols for... We get first aid training as part of our flight attendant training. Yep. Yeah. And 
we do have certain protocols for death or apparent death on board. Yep. We do certain things, but a suicide is something quite uh, unique. I've never even heard of a suicide on a plane, mm-hmm. to be honest. But if someone is in the lavatory not coming out and they we open the door and we see them unconscious, we would, you know, proceed to commence medical emergency procedures. So we would yeah. page for a medical doctor and hopefully get assistance from them and then yeah. inform the the pilots. And then at that point, that's when they would determine um, if and where we would land yeah. um, in a diversion, diversion situation. Definitely. We also have protocols in place where it, whether we have a doctor on board or not, we make a call to dispatch and they call, uh, there's several different services. There's um, basically it's a doctor on the ground that will give us medical assistance. Yeah. Um, medical advisory service yeah. or whatever. Yeah. The pilots can communicate with this doctor who are, are they on standby for us all, at all times? Well, or Basically it's a, it's where are these doctors in Pittsburgh? <laughs> One of the medical advisory services that we have used, they were located in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Adults giving me a very interesting look. Where are they look. in Pittsburgh? Where else Obviously, would they they're be? in Pittsburgh. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> so, of the various medical advisory services, it's basically a doctor on the ground who will have more information and know better what to do with an illness uh, or situation at altitude, um, and they can make the decision. Yep, you should land at the nearest suitable airport. Things like that. Now, as far as onboard the aircraft with other passengers, uh, obviously, we wouldn't make an announcement telling everybody, hey, this happened. We have different pro- uh, procedures where we can call for a medical doctor. Hopefully, we'll get some assistance. Um, but we wouldn't make it a public notice that this is what's happening, that we had someone who potentially committed suicide on board. We wouldn't want anybody uh, other than those who are in the immediate vicinity who can see what's going on, but we wouldn't want to bring it up to the whole aircraft. Of course, yeah, we share it with the definitely crew. Definitely not. We share it with the pilots uh, and get advice from those on the ground. Uh, one of the hardest things to deal with uh, as a crew member or even as a passenger, if something like this happens on board, is your own feelings and emotions. You might have to deal with a medical situation or something uh, with a, a death on board or, or something like that. And you might be like, okay, good. I dealt with the situation. We're good. We land all right, I'm good. I'm good. And the next day it might hit you a week later. It might hit you a month later. It might hit you where, Oh my goodness, I just went through this crazy experience. And yeah, PTSD is, it's real. real. And you have to be very aware of it. And we also have gone through training of teaching us and giving us tools to deal with this kind of situation because you know, it's, it yeah. can be triggering. It can be yeah. very traumatic. Obviously, so, we're not the ones who are in a medical emergency, yeah. like ourselves. But you never know what a person can be affected yeah. by. It can be the simplest thing, and that could affect them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So. So talk to people. Talk to someone. You know, one of our one of our favorite podcasts, uh, my favorite murder. They often talk about uh, therapy and. There's, there's absolutely zero shame in, in going to a therapist and talking to, uh, talking to someone, but it's the healthiest thing you can do in a situation like this to help overcome anything. Mm-hmm. And thankfully with, uh, 
our work as well, we have those tools offered to us within our industry. So if that would happen, we do have the outreach um, for us crew members to do that. So yeah, we have assistance programs in place. So, but if you're a passenger, that could also be triggering. So oh, you should time. find your own um, therapy or someone or to talk to someone to talk to because yeah, I can't imagine that that person, this person's grandfather, right? Grandfather or father? It was there uh, for Tom. Yeah. It was Tom's father that was on the flight, but his grandfather was a pilot. Wait, Godfather was a pilot. Sorry. His Godfather was a pilot and uh, wife was a flight attendant. Okay. Well, yeah. So this man who's sitting next to the person who went to the washroom, how, how is this person going to feel? You know? Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah. So it's definitely a, a crazy situation. Doesn't happen. I've never heard it happen. This is the first I've ever heard of this situation happening on board. Yeah. Because again, there's limited amount of things you can bring onto an aircraft. So, well, yeah, true. Um, I've had friends. Uh, luckily, it's never happened on any any of my flights. But I've definitely had friends uh, or people back when I used to uh, when I used to teach uh, like annual recurrent training. You'd hear stories of people talking about having um, a passenger who has passed away on board, whether it's you know heart attack things like that. And it's amazing how your training kicks in, you deal with the situation. Uh, and then again, like it's not, it, usually they say like a week later, it hits me that this is what happened. I had a very close friend of mine who was on a, and they were an instructor as well. And they were on a flight where someone was uh, experiencing a heart attack. And so they had to sort of snap into the situation and they froze for a second. And someone, one of the other flight attendants like called out their name and said, Hey, we need to do this. And then boom, triggers it and then all of a sudden you go into first aid mode and you're not thinking you're just uh you're reacting and you're doing what you have to do in the situation your training just kicks in it's amazing yeah i mean that's why we go through intense training and intense uh, yearly trainings as well not just this is not just a one-time thing we go through yearly trainings and everything to make sure that if a situation like this ever happened or any situation that's out of the norm and we are equipped to deal with it. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, I can't, I mean, we can't really say how we would initially react to a situation like that, but we are trained to deal with it, any situation. And yeah, it's task would, oriented. You deal with it at first, you deal with what has to be done and then you deal with your feelings after. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so a big thank you to Tom for that email. Yes, thank you for emailing us and hopefully we answered your um question adequately. Hopefully if you ha- do have any more any follow-ups. Yeah, follow-up questions if you want to know more. Um feel f- or if you have another crazy situation if you've traveled this much, you must have mm-hmm. had other situations on your flights. Um yeah, feel free or, or anyone else who is listening if you've had a crazy experience on a flight. If you've had a great experience on the flight, you can also let us know. Maybe you've had a, you've witnessed a proposal or something on an aircraft. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, we just want to hear from you guys and we really appreciate it and we will reply and we will be happy about it. And if you also don't want us to read it on the air, that's also okay. We can just read it ourselves and smile. <laughs> and smile. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you, Tom, for the email. And just remember, 
If you are out there and you're flying, always be nice to your flight attendants. Because they might have to save your butt one day. Goodbye. Bye-bye.